Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 319 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Today's episode is brought to you by Red Letter Challenge and Pro Media Fire. Uh, I got to tell you, one of my favorite all-time guests is back on the podcast today. I think this is number four for Craig, fourth interview. Never boring, always amazing. One of the questions I get frequently from you as listeners, as leaders, is, so what is so-and-so really like? And I got to tell you, when it comes to Craig Grishel, better than you even imagine. He has been a great friend to me, somebody who has really taken a personal interest, who's uh, just been so kind. And, and one of the things, I'll just brag on Craig for a second, that's cool, is as I travel around and meet other leaders, it's amazing how many people he's personally invested in, particularly when you hear the beginning part of this interview where he talks about hiring a leadership coach to help him become even more efficient as if that is possible. Uh, because if you know Craig, you know that there are very few people who are more efficient or more effective. He is a New York Times bestselling author, pastor of the largest or one of the largest churches in North America. He is a leadership expert. Um, his leadership podcast is a don't miss for me. Uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. And it's just a thrill to have Craig back on the podcast. We go all over the place in this interview. You will not be disappointed. And uh, I'm just so glad you joined us. If you haven't subscribed yet, if you're new, uh, make sure you do that. We're available everywhere podcasts can be found, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. When you leave a rating and review, it means so much. And of course, when you share on social media, as more and more of you are doing, uh, just thank you. We're having the best month uh, in January we've ever had. And uh, I am so grateful for uh, everything that you guys do to make this possible. So uh, I know that Easter is coming up real soon. You guys are in the grind. Craig and I talk about being in the grind this week and even the demands of message prep. Well, what if you could have a done for you campaign either leading into Easter or coming out of Easter. The Red Letter Challenge has now worked with more than 300 churches and 75,000 people have been through it. Uh, it is a turnkey program based on the teachings of Jesus done for you. It's got videos, study guides, sermon manuscripts, videos for sermons, graphics, even weekly kids curriculum. Um, it is done for you, but of course, you can just take it as a springboard and do it yourself too. In the fall of 2019, 100% of the churches that implemented the Red Letter Challenge grew their small groups, and 100% of the participants, uh, the pastors who led it, recommended it, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, so heading into Easter or coming out of Easter, go to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. There are programs and packages available for you. And by using that link, redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry, you'll get between 10 to 40% off. And whether you are a micro church or a mega church, it'll work for you. They can scale with you down or up. And speaking of church staff, uh, Craig and I do spend a lot of time in our conversations together just talking about scale and capacity. Well, uh, there was a growing church <laughs> that recently had a problem. They had nine campuses, not 35 like Life Church, but nine's a lot. And here's the problem. You think, well, you got all your issues sorted out. Guess what? They ran into bandwidth issues with their media team 
and they just couldn't get it all done. So to solve the problem, rather than hiring nine new staff members or whatever they would have, they just reached out to ProMedia Fire to get a media bundle for each campus. They knew that hiring ProMedia Fire would get a media team for a fraction of the price of hiring additional staff. And whether you have a small, mid-size, or large church, you might have the same problem. So ProMedia Fire will solve it for you. You can hire an entire creative team of professionals for a fraction of the cost of hiring additional in-house staff. You get a 10% discount on plans for life if you go to this link, promediafire.com forward slash carry. That's promediafire.com forward slash C-A-R-E-Y, carry. And we thank our partners for making this possible uh, and I want to thank Craig Rochelle for doing this again. I know he's exceptionally busy. You're going to love this interview. Uh, so get ready for a fantastic conversation with Craig Groeschel. Craig Groeschel, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Kerry. Glad to, <laughs> glad to be back with you. I love your podcast. I love being on with you again. Well, I love being with you anytime we've had together is so rich. And I want to start sort of with the camera lens a little bit back a bit. You got a lot going on lately. Every time we run into each other, uh, last time was in Chicago at the Glo- Global Leadership Summit. You're yep. producing multiple podcast episodes a month, et cetera, plus running a good-sized church. And last time I checked, it was uh, pretty big. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got family, um, book writing, serious workouts, and about 100 things we probably don't even know about. So I'd love to start with how you're keeping all the balls in the air at this season in your life and any current time hacks, strategies, um, methods that you're finding helpful? Yeah, we, we could talk about this for a whole hour and I'll try not to bore everybody, but um, lots, of, um, lots of time hacks, lots of little tricks. The, uh, the bigger thing, just to be super honest, is that earlier in the year, uh, I hired a performance psychologist to work with me. And interestingly enough, we're not doing kind of like therapy, like, you know, what was it like with your mom when you were a kid or whatever. What we're really doing is we're we're looking at at what I do, how I do it, how I increase the production and at the same time increase the um, quality of life. And so... The, the only kind of real deep therapy we're doing is we're trying to look at the drivers. What, what are the cognitive drivers that um, you know, kind of create the sense of urgency? Where am I responding in the wrong ways to certain types of cues? Um, what's keeping me from disengaging? Some things like that. So it's, it's been really, really helpful. A lot of what I learn, I learn along the way where I, I read, absorb, ask questions, and I learn from others. It's the first time in a long time in this particular area that I've had someone drilling down into my life, my wow. motivations, and trying trying to help me. So that's been really, really helpful. Uh, if I could summarize a little bit about what we're working on. So what's interesting about this counselor is he not only works with me, but he works with what he calls a wingman, which is Bobby Grunwald, so someone who's mm-hmm. who's with me every day. And then he's working with my wife because she's going to be a part of the solution. And then he's going to meet with the, um, the team, the direct team that I have that support me in my office. So we're all going to have similar language and similar goals. And the big things that we're working on would be um, some things like you mentioned content production. So the, yeah. the volume of content that I'm creating is increasing, and yet I don't have any more hours in the day. And so what we're doing is we're learning to trust the um the the wisdom and the experience and spend spend less time on content creation and spend more time and and 
a little bit more time in heart preparation, but ultimately less time completely. So when I stand up to preach, I actually have less preparation time. And in some ways, hopefully the outcome is better because I'm trusting more what's in me than, than some of the detailed preparation. I'm not polishing as much and trying to shave off about the last 20% where I get kind of mm. hyper-obsessive. So that's one thing, um, is, is a little bit less time there. I've got one million different kind of time hack ideas of little things like, um, I, this, this sounds so nerdy, but the number of steps I take in the morning and how, I, uh-huh. how efficiently I start my day is, just, you know, is, is hyper-obsessive. Lots of little things like... Um, Sorry, I the number of a, steps you take in the morning, what do, you, what do you mean by that? So like I walk to the kitchen to prepare breakfast and do, and then I go back to the bathroom and I walk to the kitchen to get some stuff. I, I, I literally limit my trips across the house, oh, which wow. just sounds like nothing. But I, I'm making the distance between the um, getting out of bed to where I actually start reading scripture and preparing my heart. I'm, I'm shortening that distance. So it's, it's ridiculous, crazy things like that. Even to the place where people call me borderline crazy. You know, mm-hmm. in my office, it's, I don't think I've been out to a lunch in a restaurant on a work day in, I've got my team in here who could probably verify it. If, if it happens once a year, that would be probably more than it happens. It's just lunches in my office is brought into me. I don't think about what it is. If there's a meeting, it's in my office. So there's no travel time back and forth. Right. So. That sounds that sounds crazy. You know, meetings, someone wants an hour. It's going to be rare I'm ever going to give an hour. Almost everything we need to discuss can be done in 15 minutes, oftentimes yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not going to I put very few hard meetings on my calendar. So like let's say you wanted to talk and say, "Hey, I really need to talk to you. Can we talk n- next three next Thursday at three o'clock?" My answer is no. We can't because I'm going to slow down at 2:30. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to ramp back up when we're through. So what I'm going to say is, yes, we can talk. Uh, I'm going to call you. And when you see my number, pick up. And that's what I'm going to say. And if you don't pick up, then it might be a while back before I call you. But I'm going to call you when I'm driving somewhere. Or I'm going to call you when I'm working out. And so I'm not going to break the rhythms of my day. This sounds crazy extreme, but it is crazy extreme. But the what I'm producing now is just, it, the volume is just different. And so it takes... I've had a hundred or hundreds of small steps to where I have to be this extreme today. And those, you know, those are there. On the other side, what I'm learning too is because the volume of what I'm putting out has increased, I haven't changed my recovery method. Yeah. And and it's been the same. And so it, that's that's just not healthy. And so a lot of times as leaders will say, well, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. And my counselors help me see, you're not tired, you're depleted. You know, mm. if you were tired, you could take a nap, which you don't, you don't need a nap. You don't need sleep. What you need is, re- is recovery. And so we're looking at the stages of recovery. Um, stage four is basically when you're totally disconnected. You're fully engaged with those you love. The colors come back on the leaves of the trees and, yeah. you know, your heart rate slows and everything. You start to have a personality again. And I haven't been finding stage four recovery well. And so we're looking at really specific strategies to recover. The language we're using around it, and I apologize if I'm boring you, but is is that recovery is productive. So for me, mm. I have to I have to produce. And so by giving it new language that's really productive, that makes me see recovery as incredibly valuable, not just something I do because you're supposed to, or you know, it is or even that I need it, it's that I want it because this adds value to kingdom impact if I'm doing this right. 
I appreciate that. And I literally could spend an hour on that, Craig. I think it's fascinating. Can I ask you, to the extent that you're comfortable sharing, what prompted that? What what made you decide, okay, this is something I'm going to drill down on? So what's interesting is in May of this year, I guess I kind of, I, I, I had extreme anxiety, which I've never really had before. I would have like low levels of anxiety, but I really have kind of a high tolerance for a lot of um, activity. And so, it, interestingly enough, I just don't remember what happened. I remember it wasn't great. And, and we were talking about that, and my counselor said, you know, you, you were just under so much trauma that your brain kind of just shut down and, and you don't remember. So I can't really remember details. And it wasn't like I curled up in a ball, but it was just kind of like everything scared me and I couldn't make decisions. And I, I continued to work through it, but I realized this isn't good. And what it felt like was the pre-breakdown to the breakdown. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen my friends break down and I thought, okay, if there is a breakdown, this is probably what happens before it and I'm not going to break down. So I, I, I plan on not breaking down. So I, yeah. I yeah. called for some help and that's it, it's been really helpful, you know. And the, I think the challenge is as leaders, we want to take on more. We, we want to believe that we're invincible and we're just not. We have to have the wisdom and the people around us to say, if the if the little red light starts blinking, then let's pay attention to it. And I think I had enough red lights blinking that I decided to to seek help. And I'm really glad I did. It's, it it is, you know, he's getting he's earning his money and he's helping me get better. <laughs> it's a strange thing, you know. I think about drivenness a lot, and I don't want to make assumptions, but I would say you certainly seem to be a very driven leader. And some of that is healthy, some of that is unhealthy, and all of it can be redeemed. That's what I'm learning about yes. my own leadership. When you're looking at your motivations, any insight into like uh, why you're so driven or any learnings there that you feel like sharing? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot of them. You know, ultimately, in its purest moment, I am 100% driven to reach people that don't know Christ. Yeah. That's not a preacher answer. That's, that is, you know, I was so lost, so hurting, and so radically saved that it is purest moment that is completely true. The problem is I am a human being trapped in a sinful body, so all my moments aren't pure. So the impure um, moments or the, the parts that need redeeming, and they're actually, you know, they're not bad, they're just what they are. And like you said, God redeems them, is um, I grew up as an, the oldest child in a, in a um, home with an alcoholic parent who's now... Um, sober and has been for 25 years, but that gives me kind of the workaholic tendencies, some of the people pleasing tendencies, and those things work for me until they don't. So that's that's some of my um, my need to be perceived as adding value is high. My need to be perceived as doing something that matters or, or is important um, is high, um, and then just the sense of producing something is. Uh, you know, that, uh, like, for example, if I'm off preaching for three weeks, I get this itch of, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything important. I need to preach again. And so that's the, that's the unhealthy side yeah. of what, of what drives me that we're working on and trying to see what are those triggers. And what we want to do is we want to be driven by the right motives and, and then also have the, um, the wisdom to, to know when you're pushing your limits and when you need to, you need to have, you know, if you're going to go really hard, you need to have deep recovery. And you can't mm -hmm. go really hard without the deep recovery. 
That's something that's interesting because athletes talk about that all the time, right? That's why like in the NHL season or football season, you can only do like a couple games a week or one game a week and for a short season. What do you think recovery is going to end up looking like for you? Is that a decrease in production long term or is that I just can't go like a robot 18 hours a day? What what does that look like for you? I think it. I think it's you know, as leaders, you have to really give yourself permission to respond and act appropriately for the season you're in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we started the church at the age of 28, with you know, 200 people coming in a single site, I would not have needed the recovery times that I do now because this is yeah. just an entirely different season. And so, I'm not telling anyone do what I do or this is what it has to look like. That that would be absolutely crazy. But I'm looking at it now more a little bit like in physical training. If I go hard in the gym seven days a week, I'm not giving my muscles time to, to recover. And so what I want to do is I want to go, I'm going to go with shorter distances, shorter spurts of going hard, but more short times off. So mm-hmm. what I did in the last r- rhythm is I did four weekends on, two off, four on, two off, four on, two off. And it was pretty amazing. The difference for me, and you would know this as a preacher, is when you have one weekend off, your mind is still engaged on the yes. upcoming message. When you have two off, even if you're not taking time off, meaning I didn't just take vacation, but it gives me one week to disconnect my mind from content production and go into deeper leadership development in the church mm-hmm. or or even do something more fun for, for self-recovery. So that was a rhythm we tried that, that worked really well. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to do Try to do those really hard short spurts with, you know, a three-day weekend off and then a short spurt and then a weekend off. And then in the summer, because of our kids, we have not done well a, a nice two-week break, which I know for a lot of listeners, like, I've never had a two-week break. Right. And, and so I'm not, I, I understand that completely. It, like, for me to perform at this level, I really need that. And so we're just going to block it off, make it happen. And a lot of leaders would know this. It takes you four days, five days before you even disconnect your mind, before your heart rate slows. So I'm trying to give myself permission. Yes, that is extreme. Yes, that is a lot. Yes, it feels extravagant to a lot of people. But my goal is not to please them. My goal is to please God. And if I'm going to go crazy hard and do what I do at other times, then I'm going to have deeper recovery. So that's kind of the strategy we're working on. And all the way down to carry, this sounds crazy, but... I'm now recognizing place matters so much. So for mm. for me, going to a place where nobody knows me or a few people know me get, yes. and where I can not shave, have a hat on backwards and wear a tank top is is really important. And then and then even being away, my counselor said, from stimulation of like city lights and noises and cars, but going where it's just God, nature, mountains, sky. And when he says it, I get, yes, last time I was there, that that my soul felt freer. And so it's not just time off, it's who you're with, it's where you are, it's what you do, all that stuff matters. Oh, I hear you. I mean, you're you're speaking my language. It's gotten a lot easier for me in the four years I haven't been the lead pastor. I say Mm -hmm. to Jeff Brody, my successor at Conexus, you know, running, running a company, which is, I guess, what I'm doing, the blog podcast, all that stuff. We have a team now and the whole deal is very different than leading a church. It's just different. Yes. You just don't have the same level of pressure that you did before. I take it very seriously. I see it as a ministry. Uh, what, if anything, do you do for fun these days? You were uh, hanging out with Kanye yesterday, which is fun. Yeah, that uh, that that was, you know, seeing someone um, 
whose life is being radically transformed by the gospel is is fun. Hearing hearing small minded Christians, um, you know, shoot shoot at him is makes me yeah. pretty sad. You know, like yeah. why uh, you know why do you pray for people to get saved and then doubt it when you see that they might have you know and and based on my time up close with them, I, I would say um, our prayer time together was as meaningful as prayer time I've had in the last five years with anybody. So it's, it was, wow. it was rich. Yeah. So for me, um, at this stage of life, I am 100% invested in my kids. You know, I, I think I, I kind of always have been, but it's, it's way more intentional now. It's, it's, it's sad that it's taken me this many years to realize it, but I've got it. I've got six kids and I have to strategically connect with them all in different ways. And so really being a student of, of how, they connect has been has been my kind of last eighteen month journey, and really trying to um, say I love you in their language has been. It's I'm really uh, I'm realizing they don't stay at home <laughs> as of now. <laughs> with six kids, four are um, effectively living as adults, and two are still just under our house, and so. I'm trying to see it not as a grieving them going out, but as celebrating the fact they've been prepared and in uh, every moment with them counts. That's so much fun to me right now, time with them. Is that how you ended up on TikTok? I saw that dance video. Yeah, that was an accident that uh, <laughs> my... <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. so my, my rule is if a kid asks for something to do together for fun, I'm going to do everything in my power to say yes. And that yeah. day it was, Daddy, Daddy, let's make a TikTok together. All right, what are we doing? Let's dance. <laughs> that was great. That's great. That's understanding your love language, which is awesome. Um, what? This was a question I just put together because I was. it doesn't flow out of the current conversation, but I feel like it's important to ask, or at least I put it together in my prep, which is, you know, it's easy to sit out there as a leader and look at Craig and go, wow, that's the like best life ever. And that's amazing. And I'm always blown away by your honesty and transparency. And same with your new book too, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But what discourages you? And then how do you push past discouragement, Craig? So I, I would say kind of whenever Christians are don't act Christ-like and, you know, they're judgmental about other, not, not me, I can take the criticism. I'm, I'm relatively used to that. But when they shoot at others, that really makes me sad. I just want to come out screaming, saying, come on, man, We're, we celebrate people's salvation. Let's believe the best. So that makes me sad. I, I would say it discourages me anytime um, our organization doesn't feel like it's moving forward. And by moving forward doesn't necessarily necessarily mean growth. It might mm-hmm. just mean like we're not on the same page. We're not missionally focused. Yeah. That discourages me. If I try to fix something and it doesn't get fixed, that discourages me. So I start to I start to wonder. Ah, are we losing it? Or you know, can we not get it back? And and so those are, there are little pockets like that where I'll kind of battle short seasons of discouragement or or um, depression. And then you know, and then if we start moving the needle, that seem the cloud seems to lift a little bit. Mm-hmm. What I'm working on in my mind is saying my mood isn't based on the results. My mood is based on the inputs. So if I if I am doing what's right then I'm going to try to be content in that. And that's not easy to do, not always there, but that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my mind set around those ideas. Hmm. I can't control the outcome, we can't control what we do. So if we're doing what's right, 
and the, we're not seeing the outcome yet, at least celebrate what we're doing was right. Hmm. At the uh, GLS Global Leadership Summit this year, you announced that <clears throat> you've taken on a uh, role there to be the champion, sort of the point leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also where you gave your get mode talk, good enough to move on, mm-hmm. something that I've mm-hmm. used over and over and over again, crediting you. Good. It's like, good. yeah, I don't need to to get the last 20% perfect, right? Or the 10% perfect, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, what are you learning um, why did you decide, decide to do that? What do you hope to be able to accomplish through taking an advanced role at the Global Leadership Summit? Well, my life was so shaped by the summit years ago. I was in my um, early 20s when I went to a conference that became the summit. So it was kind of like the summit before the summit. Yeah. And I, I grew up around those ideas. And when there was you know a leadership void, and they asked me to consider doing it. It it was really, I wouldn't say it was a tough decision. I, I knew it would be a lot. And so that's the only reason why it was tough. But it just seemed like that if someone was probably prepared for it, I might have been the one, you know. And so it felt more like obedience. It didn't, it wasn't something like, hey, this is a great opportunity. I really didn't need something new to do, but I believe so much in the mission. And uh, and it really the the scope of what the Global Leadership Network does it, to impact hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of leaders in over sixty languages around the world. The international momentum is incredible, and I just like you. You're such a student of leadership in your podcast and your your consulting and your speaking. You you are building leaders. That's the best thing we can do. You know, I'd rather speak to a few. Um, potential leaders, great leaders than hundreds of people that don't see themselves as leaders. And so it's, um, it's just, it's important. And, and so I'm honored to stand in. If I'm learning anything, it's, it's interesting because I have what appears to be a leadership role, but it's really, it's really more of any leadership I do as influence. It's not an official leadership role as much as I am kind of, they call me the champion. I'm championing it. I'm trying to help move the ball forward, but um, we have um, a CEO, a president, a very capable yeah. team. And so anything I add is relational value, not in, in authoritative power in the organization. Your podcast continues to be a huge influence in my life and that of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other leaders. What are you learning as a podcaster? Like you, you are doing a great job. You've added interviews in that into the mix. Um, tell us about your growth curve as a leader there. My, my reason for doing this leadership podcast is partly selfish. It's one of the reasons I grow. Mm-hmm. I get to talk mm-hmm. to great leaders. Tell me what you're learning. You know, oddly enough, I, I, I don't feel like I know that much about podcasts. I, I just, <laughs> I kind of said that when we started the podcast, what I wanted to do is I feel compelled to help build leaders and I can't travel any more than I am or I refuse to. And so could we, could we bend the curve to use some phrase that from the talk I did this year, can can we reach more people without travel? So it was an idea. And, and my, my thought process was great leaders often don't have a lot of time. And so what I'm, I'm going to do, there are so many good podcasts like yours that are kind of what I'd call the full workout podcast, meaning (laughs) I'm going to go, I'm going to go do a full workout with you and I'm going to be in a relaxed mode and I'm going to enjoy your relationship with people and your interviews. And I might listen to it um, twice, it, the first time enjoy it, the second time take notes. What I wanted to try to do on mine is to give it what I call a commute podcast, which is 
I'm on a 20-minute commute subway to my work, and I'm going to try to pack in as much information as I can in that 20 minutes. What I've learned from it is um, it's really a lot of work, as you know, and then trying to trying to work super, super hard to put in as much time as I need to make it as clear as possible. What I'm giving you today is free thoughts. That I'm not often not clear. I'm flowing on a podcast. I want to spend enough time really on the, in the, on the prep side to try to make every sentence matter in your leadership and um, try, try to add so much value that no matter what your background is, whether you're a Christian or not, or ministry or not, that you're going to tell the people about it and really kind of create a um, dialogue in our companies, our communities, our organizations around leadership. And, and we seem to be, you know, moving the needle a little bit on doing that. Oh, no. I mean, <clears throat> it's an incredible influence in so many people's lives, myself included. Um, on that note with preparation, I know in some of the conversations you and I've had this year just offline, you talk about just the incredible content load. And I forget exactly what the number was, but it was something like, you know, you can do 50 to 70 teachings, distinct teachings, whether that's a repeated sermon or whether that is your mm -hmm. leadership podcast or speaking at a conference or an event or training your staff or your team or whatever. Can you walk us through your current method? We talked about some of that last time you were on about how you write a message, but just in terms of batching or mm -hmm. how are you approaching that level of content production these days? So what I'm doing now is I'm trying to um, I'm trying to get out ahead, and the reason I'm trying to get out ahead, and, and more so now than in the past, is because I'm going to spend a little bit less time on it. But I want what I what I call just like a little bit more. Uh, I don't know what the word would be. I want I want time for the, I, I want the message to slow cook. So I'm going to um, right now. I am working on, I'm, I'm in week two of a message series, but I'm working on week three of the following series. So that, if that makes sense. So I'm oh, wow. one series you're ahead. a full series ahead. Yeah. I, I'm working a, a full series ahead. And what's going to happen is I'm going to spend less time on preparation, but I'm going to have more time where my brain is actually slightly engaged. And so I'll have a whole month to maybe pop the right illustration or oh my gosh, I forgot about this story, this text, or whatever to add into it. And then the same thing is a little bit true on the podcast. I'm, I am now about three months out on content. So we've already produced wow. three months ahead of time. And um, and then I'm, I'm just going to put less content out. Other, in other words, you know, I was doing, you know, maybe 24, 26 episodes a year. I'm going to cut that down a little bit and do a few, mm. uh, a few less during the year. Um and what that does is it relieves a little bit of the immediate pressure where I'm not feeling the urgency. Oh my gosh, Sunday's coming and I'm not ready for it. And then that that gives me a little bit more sense of an abundance of time where I don't have yeah. to feel as rushed all the time. How are you replenishing the content well? Because you can only output what you input, right? And you've talked a little bit about incubation, but I know you're an audiobook listener. Uh, what mm -hmm. are you doing to fill that well, both spiritually and even cognitively, you know, as you're reading books, you've interviewed James Clear. He comes to mind. Atomic Habits. Oh. Obviously, you read his book. Um, how are you, how are you how are you replenishing that content well in you in terms of input? So there's a lot of little things. It um, I don't need a whole book to give me something to run with. It could be a sentence. It could be a quote. It could be a small article. I, I read a 
Harvard Business Review article now that I've made into um, a whole set of goals for myself, you know, just one little wow. article. So I've kind of, I used to be like, I needed a book to get me moving. Now I kind of don't have the luxury of just finding, there's only a few great books in my opinion every year, or at least a few that I come across. Like the, the ones that I say, you have to read this, you know? And I'm, I, the, I find the more that I listen to or read, the few, the harder those books are to find just because it's really hard to say a lot of new stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, so, so it's, it's the, I'm not finding as many that, um, that move me, but ultimately if I can find, um, a few thoughts that challenge me, so it's books, it's podcasts, and then it's being around the right people. And yeah. the bottom line is there are just some people that consistently add value, give you new ideas, push you, challenge you, ask you hard questions. For example, when we were together, wherever, whatever city that was in last uh, I think it was London or something. London, you know, England. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were, we were there. there. And so we had maybe, what, 20 minutes together between sessions mm-hmm. or whatever, and the sparks were flying because, you know, you're asking me this, I'm asking you that, we're pushing each other. So the right people really, really matter. And then, um, you know, again, like I said, I hired a counselor and um, people to, to speak into my life. So I'm looking at all times everywhere uh, for people to, to um, introduce me to a new idea, challenge me. And then a lot of times in leadership, as you know, we don't have to say something new, but we want to say it in a really clear way or say it in a new way. Um, for example, the two podcasts that are out kind of around yours right now, I'm calling them Problem Solving Like a Boss. Right. I'm not saying anything that's really new, but if you listen to them, what I'm doing is I'm, try, I'm trying to give you images that will stick in your mind. So, the, so I'm telling you something you probably already know, but I'm trying to give you texture around it that's going to help move you, help you connect with the ideas emotionally, not just cognitively. And so with emotion, hopefully comes action. So that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to do. It's a great idea. And if you haven't subscribed to Craig's leadership podcast, you should, we'll link to it in the show notes, but that's, uh, I think from my notes, your team said that was a January and February editions of your leadership podcast 2020. Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. So that should be out there around this time. So let's talk about your writing process. You've got, for those of you watching on YouTube, you've got a brand new book called Dangerous Prayers. It's Mm -hmm. refreshingly short. Having just turned in a 70,000 word manuscript, Craig, I was convicted by your short chapters. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And how many words is this? Do you remember offhand? I don't remember. I'm going to guess it's around 30,000. 30, that's what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. So it's a super fast read. What is your writing process like? Are you? So I'll tell you, yeah, I'll I'd comment on know. the I'll comment on the fast to read first. How many times do you read a seventy thousand word book and think that one should have been three chapters long? You know, I think that all the time. Yeah, this so, is the end of this with, conversation. But thank you, uh, Craig. No, I'm kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. not yeah, not, not on your book. Like, yeah, like you, yeah, no. I mean, your content, like you really, and I, I mean this sincerely. You have consistently deep, great content. But I know you've read you've read those books that it could have been two oh, yeah. chapters long. We, we all do yeah, that. Yeah, and so, the, the writers stop writing at the end. It's like I don't yes. even know why we're still here. Yep. Yeah. So pe- pe- I I just feel like people feel more time pressure today. So I've been yeah. working with my publishers to negotiate for shorter books, and I'd rather say it, it, it's they're easier to write, and I wanted to try to have the pages add more value. So that that's the goal. And that the process is has really changed. I think this is my 16th or 17th book. And, yeah. and I don't say that to like brag in any ways, just to say the first one about killed me. And now these are relatively easy. Uh, part of the reason they're easy is because as a pastor, I've got sermon content to draw from 
Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, I, I say that unapologetically, that's what I what I do. So that's that's generally ideas that I've I've preached. And I, I take, I used to take, uh, it used to be like 10 or 12 messages equal to book. Uh, this this one actually was three messages. And of course, it's a shorter book. What I do is I I um, very quickly now take, and, um, take a message and write it into a chapter. It takes me about four or five hours to do. And it's mm-hmm. fairly rough. The advantage I have now that I didn't have in the earlier days is I've got um, a really good team around me that then goes and takes the that smooths it out, makes suggestions, asks me lots of questions. Can you add here? Can you give me details here? Can you give us a different story here? Have you thought about this biblical text? Then it comes back to me now, and then I work it over again, and then it goes back into a polishing stage, and then I finish it off. That is about maybe at least a half, almost a third of what we used to do. Yeah. We used to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So I've gotten better at creating the first draft, and I've gotten be- uh, now I have better help on the other end, and so it makes it a much less painful process for me. The, the ultimately though, I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, so you sell X number of thousands of books versus you do one podcast and you can reach more people. It's <laughs> true. Well, that's it's true. You know, and so uh, I'm I'm trying to ask myself, go where people are going. And what I want to do is take the power of words, whether whether written or spoken or recorded or whatever, and um, I want to try to have the highest return on the work we put in. And so interestingly, right now, podcasts seem to have a lot of momentum. Oh, that was a very dangerous thought. I hadn't actually thought about that. And I, you know, I know my numbers. So more people will listen to my podcast this week than read my book in a year which is insane. Yeah. I'm sure that's probably, and, I know you've you, had some and you would have put, And you would have put a hundred, you'd have put a hundred times the work into your book that you would into one podcast. Yeah, now I'm depressed. That's good, but that's very true. That's mm-hmm. very true. And what I like about this is it is kind of like your podcast. Like it left me wanting more, which is, good. Which is really, that. really good. Thank um, you. So <laughs> you start by saying, and I want to go there because I, I felt convicted on the front page that your prayer life was lame or someone accused yep. you of having a, a lame prayer life. Can you can you talk mm-hmm. about that? Yeah. Well, the book is called Dangerous Prayers, um, and the subtitle is because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. Hmm. And so I, I'd say, Carrie, it's kind of embarrassing for a pastor to admit, but I always felt like a very inadequate prayer. Yeah. You know, you've got prayer warriors and intercessors. They pray for hours, and they're binding and casting out and quoting scripture. And I'd try to pray for five minutes, and my mind would wander. And then even with um, my wife, Amy, you know, we're pastors. And so, of course, we should pray together. Our <laughs> prayer life together was inconsistent and often really flat. One of the big realizations that I had is that I just, I was not praying for anything special. It's kind of like, keep us safe, watch over us, help us have a good day, bless my kids, blah, 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 blah. And I I kind of, somewhere along the line, almost felt like God was sitting in heaven going, uh, yeah, I'm already doing that, you know. <laughs> Ask me for something something real. And so I started changing my prayer life from trying to pray like everybody else and conform to what I thought was a real prayer life. I, I took the idea of praying without ceasing, which the scripture says. And so instead of having long drawn out prayer times, I try to live with an attitude of prayer, meaning mm-hmm. I may be walking from one meeting to the next and saying, God, give me wisdom as I walk into this room. And that's a yeah. very real prayer. Having a pastoral conversation with someone and saying, God, help me say the right thing next. So 
uh, almost like an ongoing conversation with God rather than just a uh, 30 minutes or an hour or whatever prayer time a day, and, and not to say that's that's wrong. And then in the book, Dangerous Prayers, what I did is I took three prayers that either were directly out of the Bible or kind of tied to biblical principles and really tried to challenge the reader to, to have the faith to pray these prayers. And if we're praying safe prayers, we're probably going to be relatively faithless. If we're praying some more dangerous prayers, it's going to push us out of our comfort zone. And, you know, when we look at following Jesus, it it, it is to a life of self-denial, self-sacrifice, obedience, not comfort, more, more for me, me, me. You know, that kind of preaches well in some of our Western churches, but it's, the scripture often says something pretty different. So uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help engage people in a, in a um, intimate, real, uh, and maybe even faith-filled, dangerous prayer journey with God. I hear you. You know, you mentioned something interesting, your mind wandering. So, uh, and we have a variety of listeners to this podcast, as with yours, Craig. But some people would say, well, I don't really pray, I meditate. Meditation is huge mm-hmm. right now, particularly yep. in the culture. What in your mind is the difference between prayer and meditation? And is there a role for Christian meditation? And if so, I, I just yeah, love to so- know that. So, um, you know, Scripture says to meditate on the Word, and, and so there's uh, there's what I would consider maybe a Christian version of meditation or what I just call pure good old-fashioned med- meditation focusing your mind and such. So I, as a student, had so many people that I respect talk about meditation. I'm sure, you know, if I read 10 books, you probably, you know, five of them mentioned an author I respected talking about meditating so I went on a um, kind of a journey of experimenting with meditation. And by that, experimenting is, wasn't what I'd consider like a um, new age, whatever, meditation, as much as it was training my mind around truth. And so I got, a, I got an app, and I probably did a consistent um, six months and then an inconsistent six months and uh, where I was really trying to focus my mind on certain things and train my mind to be focused because it wanders so much. And I would say it was it was very helpful to me, but not so helpful that I stayed with it. There, there were mm-hmm. other disciplines at the time that I was working on that I found to be more helpful. I kind of wish I could give you that whole, my life is different because of its story, um, but I gave a real serious run at it and said it, it might have moved the needle a little bit, but I had things that were moving the needle more. So I, I, I think, you know, learning to focus your mind in any aspect of life really is a healthy discipline. As you, you train your body, you also want to train your mind. And I'd say if you do that, you know, as a Christian pastor, if you do it with a Christian perspective and you're renewing your mind around truth, more power to you. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the unchurched guys I run with, he's big into meditation and yoga and that kind of stuff. And when we talk about it, there's parallel journeys. So I don't meditate. I tried it not as long as you. But one of the things I've found is that being still is really important mm-hmm. in prayer for me. And the stiller I am, the more insight I get. I love that Calvin quote, without knowledge of mm-hmm. self, there's no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. But I find mm-hmm. that if I'm really quiet and I'm really focused, which is hard for me, then sure. I'm like, oh, what is that? And mm-hmm. I begin to look at that. And you, you, you kind of get a much, I find it really helpful for confession of all things and mm-hmm. insight mm-hmm. and understanding. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else on meditation before we move on, Craig? Like, Well, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd add anything to that. I, I Like I said, I wish 
I wish I could give you the it changed my life testimony. I, I know so many people that can do that. And I just, it's, you kind of want to experiment with different spiritual disciplines. Yes. We're not all the same. We're not all wired by God the same way. And and um, you want to find what works with you. There, there was a, a big idea I heard years ago. There was some book that, that talked about seven different ways to connect with God. I always thought it's Bible study and prayer. And uh, this book <laughs> yeah. kind of brought, broadened my mind to like, you can actually connect with God by going out and looking at nature and going, wow, God, you created this? Man, yeah. the glory of God is all, all over creation. You can, can if one, one chapter was on connecting with God with, by working and really seeing this as an expression of using my gifts to glorify God. And so I've, at this stage of my Christian journey, I, I just would encourage people to experiment with different ways to pray to God to talk yeah. to them. For you, it might be being still. For someone else, it might be while they're jogging. And there is, there's, there's no wrong way. There's a lot of different right ways. And uh, and just you know, find find a, a right way that really connects you intimately. Is that Gary Thomas's Sacred Pathways? I think it is. Uh, that, that might be it. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to say Pathways to God was what I was thinking, but that's, sure. I'm, I'm guessing that's what it is. Yes. I mean, we'll link to it in the show notes. We'll find out and we'll link to it. Because that was really helpful for me. I married somebody who just comes alive with God in the woods and I'm like, no, that yes. makes me a pagan. But anyway, you know, yeah. I get the work thing. Let's talk about <laughs> confession. I found that yep. so helpful. And what got me is for a leader who's leading at a very high level, extremely busy to the level that you're limiting your steps in the morning, You've got people who can speak into your life and tell you, Craig, you need to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the role of other people in, in moving you to confession? And then I'd love to know how you nurture those relationships. You know, having, as a leader, having people that can give us honest feedback is paramount. If, if, if we don't have that, we're, we're in great danger. Um, our friend um, Andy Stanley says something a lot about this being surrounded with people. He said, if you don't listen to those people around you, eventually you'll be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. Yeah. And um, I, I hope that didn't butcher his quote, but no, that's, that's so true. Yeah, that's so true. You know, we have to, if we don't, if we don't seek out feedback or allow feedback, eventually we'll be surrounded by yes people. And then, then our organizations are in danger and, and we're in great danger. And so if we serve a God who disciplines those he loves, and if we're to confess our sins and pray for each other that we may be healed, that means we get better in the context of spiritual Christian community. Um, it's, it's everything. You know, I just did a uh, broadcast from where I am out to all of our campuses with another one of our directional leaders. And we talked about this very thing about creating an environment of, of trusting with each other. And feed, feedback is one of the most um, incredible expressions of love. Yeah. As, a, as an old athlete, um, a coach that loved me was often hard on me and, and would help me to improve. And so, uh, it, you know, I am in an environment where the people around me um, occasionally or when needed will say, you're out of line, you're not seeing this right, here's how you should look at it, you're pushing it too hard. And that, that's an absolute gift to me. They're not always right. They're right probably 90% of the time, but I have to listen always. And if I don't apply it eventually, or I dismiss them, eventually they're going to go away and then I will be vulnerable. I won't have um, objective leaders who care about me speaking in my life and that could compromise everything. But how do you foster that? Because I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about that. And when I read that story in the book, 
I thought, okay, one of the reasons so many pastors are falling, if you do the the breakdown of mm-hmm. that stuff for business leaders or politicians, is you get to a level of influence and power where you could fire everyone or people are just too intimidated to speak the mm-hmm. truth. There's a little bit of a shock and awe of like, I'm actually here with Craig Rochelle. I, I can't tell him, you tell him. Um, mm-hmm. and, then, and then sometimes leaders act, actually project that aura. Like, yeah, yes. I'm now at the mm-hmm. point where I have enough power and influence that you can't mm-hmm. question me. And, you know, from what I know of you personally, from what I've seen in your leadership, that's not true of you. So how do you, you, you must have to mitigate against that somehow. How do 100%. you encourage that? So the natural trajectory of a um, more influential leader is toward isolations, arrogance, um, a sense of entitlement, yes, people around them. Yeah. Uh, people unwilling to tell them the truth. Some of it is just by nature, meaning now that your podcast is bigger and your influence is broader, people see you as more important, and so they're going to be a little more nervous around you. Part of it, you will either add to that or you have to intentionally work to take it away, meaning if you walk around snapping your fingers and acting like you're the big wig, you know, people may think you are. They may make fun of you behind their back, but whatever, it's an unhealthy environment. So, um, if we don't intentionally fight against it, the trajectory is going to move in that way. Some things that I do that are very intentional, and this is not just for me, but it's for the organization. Before I ever get a, give a message on a weekend, I get feedback. I bring at least three teams in, and I talk the message through with them. And I ask them very specific questions about it, and I celebrate when they give me something that's helpful. And then when I use it, I'll go, try to go back on the back end and say, hey, I took that part out because you don't want you to know that. Or you asked me to add that or spend more time once you know I did it. And so what I'm doing is I'm helping them know I'm really listening. I really value them. And then our whole team knows I do that. The next thing I do is after I preach, I get feedback before I go do it another time. And our whole team knows that I do that. Then what we've done, Carrie, is on most of our campuses on most weeks, they do the same type of thing. The team gets up and let's say there's 12 people to campus on a particular week, three or four of them will do staged drills and they'll get up and they'll do something in front of other people, the, uh, the other staff members. And then the staff members will give them feedback on what they just did. What we're doing there is we're saying we are a culture that craves, desires, and gives helpful feedback. Uh, if I don't model it, they're not gonna do it. And if I won't take it on a sermon, feedback on a message, how would I ever take it on my leadership? Or how would I have someone who could ever call me on my pride? We have to start somewhere so we can get it somewhere else. And it really starts at the top. If you've got a leader at the top um, who is not receptive and seeking out feedback, then the chances of seeing it deeper in the organization go way, way down. It starts with us. And it's one of, in my opinion, it's one of the most important things we do in our culture to create a trusting environment and and one where we all really do get better. I, I I can't improve by just helping myself. I've got to have objective people that care about me speaking into my life and leadership. I think that's a really important insight because you actually bake it into the process of message prep and message evaluation, pre-evaluation, so that it's like, no, you can question him. You can tell him things, but you tell at least one story, maybe two, if I'm mixing him up in the book or perhaps more, where you're actually at a restaurant at lunch with somebody And if I'm mixing up stories, just correct me on this. But I think it was someone who said to you, he asked you a question and it was something about crude humor or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm reading that and I'm like, wow, that is like, 
the the level then that is harder the larger the mm-hmm. organization you lead um mm-hmm. and it, it there must be something some signal that you're sending off that says you're allowed to do this because it wasn't an angry thing mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was banging mm-hmm. on your door and you know he's got a placard he's just having lunch with you and mm-hmm. he says Craig I think you need to pay attention to that so what do you do that you're aware of that would foster that kind of an open dialogue so that's that's a story that I've told from the pulpit multiple times and it um you know I'm just I'm a dude I'm a regular guy yeah. And I got saved out of a fairly wild lifestyle. And so I like to laugh a lot, no matter what. Yeah. And being an old college frat boy athlete, you know, my humor didn't always, it hasn't always been redeemed. I mean, you tell me a funny kind of harsh joke and I'm one of the guys suddenly, and we're on the, you know, we're, we're old frat brothers now, we're laughing at it. So I told some humor strategic, I had some humor strategically in my preaching saying, hey, I'm going to connect with that guy you know, that person. And I'm sure I'm a regular guy. And what I did was in, unintentionally, sometimes probably just went too far in it. Mm-hmm. And I had some people trying to correct me and I kind of blew them off. And then I had a person that really said it in a way that I heard it and have made what people would consider, you know, real changes. You might say, you're still going to be a little crude. Like maybe, but you see where I came from. Okay, I made a lot of progress. <laughs> you should have seen me 20 and, uh, years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so a little bit of it is if when I tell a story like that on myself, what I'm doing is I'm giving the I'm giving everyone else in the church permission to receive feedback from someone, and then I'm giving them permission to to I'm, I'm making that guy the hero, not me. I'm, the preacher's not always a hero. There was another guy that was helping me see my sinfulness. I'm making someone else a hero, and so we're celebrating that process. And the fact that some that I model someone was able to do that to me gives people permission to continue to do that to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, I'm not going to listen to everyone who says who throws harsh, you know, critical grenades my way. But the the right person in the right context can point out leadership flaws, um, philosophical mistakes, personal sin, and you know some of the biggest improvements I've made in my life has been because of people that have done that. And it doesn't even have to be a big deal. It might be you listening and saying, "Hey." On your podcast, you're doing this, but here's what I've learned. Have you thought about this? And that's just a, I'd be stupid not to listen to you. Yeah. Do you have advice for leaders who might be convicted by that about how they can break the pattern and solicit that kind of feedback? And I'm not even talking about the formal level for sermon prep. I'm talking about give your staff permit, because I'm doing a workplace course right now as we record this. And like, I'm getting messages every day from people who's like, my problem is the boss. It's the boss. It's the mm-hmm. boss. And nobody mm-hmm. wants to mm-hmm. tell them. So if you're that boss listening, any advice for that boss? So here's what I think. I think that boss has no idea. Yeah. I think that boss that you're talking about that everyone else knows is a problem thinks she's great or he's great. <laughs> and my team can tell me anything. They can tell me anything. I think that that's what, I think generally speaking, that's what that boss thinks. And I would probably, if I was sitting down with that boss, I would probably say, when is the last time someone gave you really hard feedback, you took it and you changed something and everybody knows it? Oh, wow. And if that boss couldn't give me an example pretty quickly, I would probably say, then I think you probably have a problem. Meaning, <laughs> you know, if, if it's like, seriously, if, if, if I can't name in the last two months where someone close to me brought helpful correction I don't have a two month streak where I don't need help. I mean, I, 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 right? You're so do right. You? 
Yeah, no, if I no, can't, never. If I can't name it, so what, what happened is that bosses that are going, my people can tell me anything. They love me. They trust me. Anybody can speak to me anytime. And, and he has no idea that the moment they try to do it, he barks at them, runs them off, whatever. Um, and again, it's we are so used to, especially when you do it longer or rise in power, having people tell you what you wanted to hear, you are vulnerable then. Um, you have to work you have to work toward it. And and I sometimes people are afraid of correction. You need to be afraid of when you don't have any corrective voices. That's mm. when you need to be afraid. So I would just say it right now. I'm going to say it to whoever's listening. If you're the boss, if you're in charge, if you're the whatever, and you can't think of in the last quarter, sometimes someone has brought you correction, you've heard it, you've changed, and everybody knows it. Then chances are you have not you have not been receiving feedback, and you've insulated yourself, and you are at risk. Oh, that's a good diagnosis, Craig. And I know I'm kind of picking up on small points in the book, but I thought it was really interesting from a, a leadership standpoint. I know you spent a couple of pages talking about what we might call rationalization, which is mm-hmm. the human ability to justify sinful behavior. I work mm-hmm. hard. I deserve it. It's just a little porn, you know, whatever yep. your excuse would be. I think that's pretty mm-hmm. rampant in leadership. What are some of the mm-hmm. ways leaders rationalize their bad behaviors or their mm-hmm. weaknesses? I think it's it, it's really easy for us to do as leaders. And, and here's the reality. there, And this is going to sound contradictory. There, there has to be some exceptions in leadership, meaning... Not everyone can have someone else go maybe and pick up their lunch or something. Well, right. someone might do that for me to save my time. So that is an exception. Not everybody can do that. So um, you might care, you might buy a more expensive ticket to be on a direct flight and someone else in your organization might buy a cheaper ticket and connect on the flight. And you actually have the ability to do that because you've earned it and your time's valuable. Um, and again, this sounds like a little bit of a contradiction, but just because there's an exception doesn't mean we're ever entitled to it. Yeah. And this is this is what we have to remember is if someone blesses us by going and picking up the lunch, or if they or if we have the freedom to choose the more expensive flight that gets us there faster, that that's not an entitlement. Um, that's a that's a blessing of honor that that we never take for granted. The moment we start to feel entitled to that or to the parking spot or whatever, then we can start rationalizing other things and saying, well, I pay a higher price, therefore I can have this little this little side thing. Or, yeah, I'm preaching Jesus, so if I'm looking at this stuff, it's not that big of a deal. At least I'm not doing something else. And then then we start, we start in a very dangerous trajectory. So we have to be willing to accept and leverage the necessary exceptions in order for us to do more, but we can never feel entitled to those things. Or suddenly we start rationalizing out other sinful behavior. Um, And even though we make exceptions on things that help us in production, we don't make exceptions on things of integrity. Hmm. And that, that really, really matters. Oh, that's interesting. Production versus integrity. That's a new category for me because you're right. You get to, you know, one of the questions I get, it's where I started on this podcast. How do you produce all the content you produce? Well, Mm -hmm. there are certain hacks. I do take direct flights. You know, I mean, I'm not, Mm -hmm. if I can help it, I am not going to be making three stops. But you didn't didn't do that always. 
Oh, no. There was a there was a time when you wouldn't, and it wouldn't have been right to 15 years ago. But it would. I would argue that it probably wouldn't be right for you not to take the direct flight now, because of what you're supposed to do. But if you ever feel like um, you need it, and you better have a driver on the other side, and if they don't have your special drink, and your attitude (laughs) becomes that, then what you're going to start doing is you're going to start rationalizing other things. That that's what follows next, and then you would end up a casualty at some point. Interesting. Integrity versus productivity. Um, is that partly a heart thing too? I mean, Tony and I, you know, Tony, you've met Tony, but we mm-hmm. talk a lot about what a privilege this is and what an opportunity this is. But I also realize, as you say in the book, that your heart is deceitful and mm-hmm. you can convince yourselves. How, how do you keep that in check in your own life? Uh, I, you know, I think, honestly, I'm always vulnerable. Yeah. Um, I, I find that there are times... Like I, I want to be approachable. I want to be um, as normal as can be, but yet I do things that are not normal and I have privileges that are not normal that give me the ability to produce more. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, ha- I have to just be really careful. The moment I find myself snapping towards someone and uh, I want to have the highest standards and I want to demand and expect excellence and efficiency but not in this entitled way, but in a, it, because kind of a, a missional thing. It's because what we're doing is important, then we need it this way. It's not because I'm important. And I think there's a, there's, there's a fine line. The moment it becomes I'm important, and it does sometimes, meaning like the sinfulness is like, yeah, you don't treat me like that. I'm this and I demand blah, 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 blah. If I, if I flip over into that category and I live there too long, mm-hmm. then People are going to be serving out of obligation, not out of missional loyalty. Um, there's going to be resentment. And I'm going to be vulnerable to go into places mentally, emotionally, spiritually that could end up taking me out. And what I'm trying to say is, I'm, I'm probably not very clear, but the trajectory is there. It's always toward that self-importance. And yeah. we, have to, we have to fight against it. Craig, you, I think you, that's you'll, really you'll, good. You'll, you'll, end up, you'll end up there. You, you will end up there, period. Unless you're fighting against it, you, yes. you have to fight against it. It is inevitable. Oh, well, it's gravitational, right? You just get it's pulled gravitational. Into it. The gravitational pull is that way, yeah. and you have to intentionally wake up and say, "No, I'm not important." Yes, there are exceptions. Yes, I do have some certain perks. Yes, that people um, help me do things. I, I get some benefits that other people don't get, but it's not because I'm more important. It's just because of of what I'm called to produce. And it's super, that's a fine line, but you get on the wrong side of it and things get wacky really fast. I think that's the best explanation I've heard. And I'm pretty up to date with your leadership podcast, but if you've never done that on your leadership podcast, may I suggest 25 minutes on that? Um, You know, productivity versus integrity. And I'm not doing this because I'm important, but because this is important. I think Mm -hmm. that's the clearest distinction I've ever heard. Thank you. That's a real gift. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I got to ask before we wrap up, Craig, your daughter, Mandy, uh, and you yep. do talk about prayer. And this is, this is actually a classic apologetic argument against Christianity that if God is so good, why does he allow suffering? Mm-hmm. But you've got a daughter that has been struggling with some chronic health issues that I know mm-hmm. you've, we've talked about it before on this podcast. You've written about it before. But how's Mandy doing? And uh, how are you processing the prayers for healing and uh, the prayers for Mandy several years into this journey now. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, Mandy's doing a little bit better, and and I'm really thankful for that. She's making some progress, and um, 
she uh, uh, she, she would tell you like her, her quality of life's getting a little bit better. Hmm. Uh, we're we're praying nonstop for for healing. The interesting thing is that we're seeing uh, that even even though she's on a journey that is isn't the one we've chosen for her health, that God is using it in really significant ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked her one time, I said, if, if you could go back and, you know, be healthy all this time and take away the influence and impact you've had on, on people battling chronic illness because she started a YouTube page and her whole life is kind of devoted to helping people with chronic illnesses now. She said, no, I wouldn't change it at all. That, that I feel like, you know, God is in control and, and he allows what he allows for a purpose. And my purpose is to help people now. So, I just I love the fact that she's hanging on to, to Jesus and she's um, she is um, a little bit better. She has a long way to go, but no matter where she is, she's trying to help people have hope and faith. And so I'm I'm proud of her for that. Hmm. And for you, you just keep praying with confidence and submission. And yeah, so on a good day, yes. On a bad day, I'm pretty frustrated. <laughs> kind of like, come on, God, where are you? Why don't you do this for her? And on a good day. I'm, uh, yes, God, I'm, I'm, I've got the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faith of, you know, I, I believe you. I know you can. I believe you will. And even if you don't, I still believe. And so that's where we are. God, I, I believe you will. I know you can. And if you don't do it today, you know, I, I still believe. So the book is called Dangerous Prayers. Do you know the release date, Craig, offhand? It's probably when the uh, show airs. February the 7th is the release mm. date is February the 4th, February the 4th. February 4th, probably when this How podcast How cool is that? I was not entitled to that person who just put up the four and showed me, but there is a person named Adrian who's a rock star who's right by <laughs> and spent her time ready to tell me February the 4th. All right, good for and Adrian. She's trying not and- to laugh really loud right now, but she's a star! <laughs> and congrats on uh, number one if you workplace. Can, if you can hear her laugh. <laughs> there it is. There you go, there it is. Adrian. You hear it? There you you hear can it? laugh there out loud. Is. I can hear it. <laughs> Uh, congrats on number one on Glassdoor, too, as an employer. We'll have oh, to break thank that down next time. We got so many questions we didn't get to, but uh, everything's at craigrochelle.com still. And, uh, yes, yeah, you can go there. Books available everywhere. Craig, you're a gift. You're a gift to me personally. You're a gift to our listeners. You're a gift to millions of listeners. And through your church, hundreds of thousands of people who call Life Church home. Thank you, thank you. my friend. Yeah. Hey, thank you for you and your investment in leaders. And And again, I'm I'm celebrating as your influence is growing. I think that I've told you for years, back before uh, hundreds of thousands knew your the, your great quality of leadership, I found your blog. And I was like, yes. dude, bro, you got some good stuff. And you've been consistent. Your um, your quality is is world-class. And I just appreciate you, your friendship and, and your influence on my life has, has been uh, really special. So thanks, Gary. Hey, thank you, Craig. So Craig, you're back. We've got part two of this podcast right now going to make it super short, but you've got something for our listeners. Super fast. Adrian, who just uh, told me the release date, also reminded me that there is a discount code on um, Amazon for the book Dangerous Prayers. If you type in three prayers, like the number three, mm-hmm. P-R-A-Y-E-R-S, three prayers gets you $3 off. And so uh, hopefully that'll be a $3 gift to somebody. <laughs> Buy a cup of coffee for somebody else. A cheap Thanks, cup. Greg. Thank you. Well, I'm so grateful for Craig and so grateful for his leadership, for his friendship, and for the huge impact he is having uh, not only at Life Church and their locations, but around the world. 
If you have not yet subscribed to his leadership podcast, um, do it. It is, it is as I've said many times before, uh, the most calories per minute I have found in a leadership podcast. And he does that on purpose because, um, you know, it's a different format. It's not long form conversations like this. Some of my episodes this year will push almost two hours. It's a different form of podcasting. His is quick. Uh, powerful, <laughs> really, really good. Uh, it's just the Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. And we'll link to everything in the show notes. Uh, you can find that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 319. And if you're looking to grow your media support online, reach out to promediafire.com forward slash carry. You'll get 10% off plans for life. And if you are looking, as Craig is, to reduce the prep time, when it comes to sermon prep, uh, maybe you want to consider something like Red Letter Challenge. If you go to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry, you can get between 10 and 40% off. And uh, that works whether your church is small or large, but I know content creation can be a crunch for all of us. So uh, make sure you check that out. Well, we have fresh episodes coming your way as always. And uh, so enjoyed this time with Craig Grishel. But next week, it's going to get personal because I'm having my wife on, along with a longtime friend, Dr. Rob Meter. Rob's been a friend for well over 15 years. And Tony and Rob are launching something new. They are going to do their own podcast. And so I interview them about the reasons for the rise in childhood anxiety, tech addiction in parents, and best practices for a healthy marriage in a busy home. And I'm really invested in the personal side of leadership for you as leaders. And here's an excerpt from the conversation with my wife, Tony Newhoff, and our good friend, Dr. Rob Meter. I would often hear the comment that, you know, we haven't had sex in years, actually, is what I would hear. That was pretty frequent. Um, Well, yes. Yeah, Mm. it was, sadly. And uh, I would hear about drifting, that Mm. they just drifted apart. And sometimes... What happened with the in the drifting cases was often a matter of scheduling. It sometimes happened with, you know, couples who started out with all the best intentions and they decided to work their schedule so that uh, there would be no need for any um, third party caregivers for the kids. Oh, no. But other they're words. both working. Yeah. So they arrange a, um, a an opposing schedule in a sense. So you know, dad's out working while mom's home with the kids and then mom's out working when dad's home with the kids. Yeah, and if some of you, I know I hear from longtime listeners all the time. So many of you are like, I've heard every episode. You're like, Meter, I know that name. Yeah, Rob's wife, Rose, was one of the top downloaded episodes a few years ago. And they're both doctors. They're both physicians. And so we talk about well, how on earth do you handle that? When you're busy, you got four kids, the whole deal. And so this is more on the personal side. Also coming up, Lisa Turkhurst on how to get your content noticed. James Emery White, Claire Diaz-Ortiz. Mark Driscoll is on the podcast. And uh, Bobby Herrera, uh, Pat Lencioni calls him the best CEO you've never heard of. Near AL and so many more. I'm so excited about what's ahead. Again, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sharing. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.